You don't really like dogs, do you? No. <laughs> I'm certainly not doggy. I do not want to speak to random people about their dogs. And I mean, that is the most crashingly boring. Whereas Hillary is the opposite. She'll run at somebody to say, oh, your dog is so sweet. What is it? This week on Walking the Dog, Raymond and I popped over to London's Putney to take a stroll with wonderful Hilary and Michael Whitehall and their dog, Philomena, or as they like to call her, Philly. I say they like to call her. I suspect Michael secretly thinks it's a shade informal. Now, I've already had their son, Jack Whitehall, on this podcast, and Hilary was keen to clear up a few inaccuracies. So, Jack, your mother's not obsessed by her dog. Philly's just a little high-maintenance. Think Michael with a tail. We chatted about all sorts. Michael's childhood Pekingese, Foxgrove candy floss. I know, lot to unpack. And Hilary's dog, who her brothers nicknamed the Git. We also talked about their respective early years and how they ended up meeting when Michael was a hotshot agent and Hilary was an actor. And it was nearly a non-starter because Hilary didn't call him back for two weeks. She was away at the time. But still, what a boss move. Total icon. They also told me about their reaction to Jack going into show business and how they instilled this work ethic in not just Jack, but also their son Barney and daughter Molly. Of course, we also discussed their brilliant new podcast, The Wittering Whitehalls, which is essentially their take on etiquette and life lessons and it is a total joy. So do give it a listen. Spending time with the Whitehalls is just heavenly. They're so funny and such a genius double act, but they're also really charming, lovely people. And you get the sense that however fun all this showbiz stuff is, their absolute priority is their family and their kids. Basically, I need them to adopt me. Clear out Jack's old room, Mrs. W. Raymond and I are moving in. Michael, you'll grow to love having us around. Trust me. Please do give the Wittering Whitehalls a listen and don't forget to rate, review and follow this podcast I'll shut up now and hand over to the gorgeous couple themselves. Here's Hilary and Michael and Billy and Raymond. Come on, Ray. Oh, this is such a I nice cafe. I you up on the podcast. So I, I wanted to meet Philly. because this woman shut is up. literally a and she kept us going Stop in lockdown. It. This is the Whitehall's local cafe. Philly, stop park. it. <laughs> that was Michael. I, I apologise. Stop barking. Stop. Okay. This is Lulu. Are you Lulu? It's She's me and my mum. It's Amy because it was a Lou. I love it. Yeah. White with two sweeteners, please. Michael, Can I? Are you all right? Do you want a no, I'm fine. Thank you very much. The, Michael um, doesn't approve of people having coffee out of, the bill, of those, out of the house. We had one of those Pekingese. Thank you. He's an imperial yeah. shih tzu. Well, we had a Pekingese. And it, my mother called it Foxgrove Candy Floss. But Even it, was it was a, a male. <laughs> so it's called Candy bit, Floss, but it was it a male. everyone, and it was called Candy Floss. And it clearly didn't like being called Candy Floss. It's why I bit everybody. <laughs> Come on, Raymond. Lovely, thank you. Hello. Come on, Philly. Right, Emily, I should point out that we're about to do one of Michael's absolute pet hates, which is walk along a street with a coffee looking suitably current. Very. I look out of the window <laughs> of my beautiful house and the river, mm. and people are walking along like that again. Do you not believe in... in one hand and a coffee in the other, and they never look at, at the, the river, at the river <laughs> or anything around, and they just go and talk to each other. 
Oh, it's nice here, isn't it? How's your coffee? Uh, yes, it's fine. Or oh, they're looking at their phones. Or oh, they're looking at their phones. Do you think it's rude to sort of consume in public, to eat and drink? I do. Yeah. So we are literally the pits. That's why I don't travel on undergrounds anymore, or indeed overground trains. This baby is so adorable, and he's riveted to what Michael's saying. Hello. Hello, baby Hi. boy. Is it a little boy? Girl. Little, ga- little girl. Oh, baby girl, look at you. Are we going this way? We're going this way. Well, I'm going to let the white horse lead the way. Bye, Amy. This way, right. Bye-bye. Delicious coffee, thank you. Bye, lovely to meet you. And your lovely cafe. That baby had the slight look of a young Winston Churchill. <laughs> Did you notice that? I, mean, I think she a, had more hair than Winston Churchill. If it had Churchill. a cigar in its hand, <laughs> it would have looked sort of dead ringer for Winston. Now, Philly. Oh, my God, Philly. Philly, come here. So Philly, for some reason, has a thing about those two dogs who are brothers, and they're very sweet owners who I love. Yeah. But she knows when they walk past the house even when she's in the house. Oh, they're like her nemesis. Are they two borders? They're actually not borders, and I can't remember what they are. And what's the problem with them? She hates them. But why? I don't know. Oh, they're very nice, those they're they're two very gentlemen sweet. sharing, aren't yeah. they? <laughs> they are. That's a very old-fashioned way of putting it. Two gentlemen <laughs> sharing an apartment <laughs> up the road. They are a couple, Michael, I think is the word oh, you're groping I... for. <laughs> Yes, this is rather lovely. Full of the football ground. Will you explain our beautiful... I mean, I should introduce you first, yes, okay. formally. These two need no introduction. I haven't been this excited about a duo in a quite duo. some time. Do you do a lot of duos, then? I do. Yes. I do occasionally. I did Michael Owen and Gemma Owen. Oh, yes, who's now Love Island. Who's now Love Island, yeah. <laughs> I'm with the very wonderful Michael and Hilary Whitehall. And we are in Putney Embankment, by the river. We're opposite the new Fulham football ground. Stand. Um, stand, which cost a huge amount of money, but money very well spent by the very nice, calm family who own football, own uh, Fulham Football Club. There are two dogs coming along here. Yes, two Norfolks, which, Michael, you love a Norfolk, I do. I used to have a Norfolk terrier. Raymond's found his people with these Norfolks. Do you see? Yeah. Unfortunately, Michael's Norfolk went with the previous incumbent to me. It went with my last... It was part of the separation settlement. It was Bentley had to go with her. Not that I fought to keep Bentley. I was very happy. It was the other thing she took that I didn't like, like... Bits of furniture, <laughs> yes. Well, um, I do. I should add that he calls me. Mm. He refers to me as his current wife. Well, you are my current wife. This is what I have to live with. Yeah. I and my answer to that is, you couldn't afford it, so don't even go there. Mm-hmm. She's got a point. Yeah. Um, can you introduce us to your beautiful dog? Yes, Philomena. Well, you've just heard that she's actually. She's a terrier. She's part terrier. So Philomena is a caver poo mother and a westy poo daddy. But I think the dominant gene in Philly is definitely terrier because one, she molts for Britain, even though she's half poodle. 
and two, she lacks the intelligence of a poodle. And all her siblings were brown, sort of biscuity coloured, poodly, prickly, pretty, long-haired, and this one dog, this one white dog, was the only dog they had left. In all the, the others had been bought. And I said to the owner, who was a very posh lady, living in Kensington somewhere, very posh lady, and she said. Um, I said to her, how much? And she said, I've told you how much the puppies are. And I said, no, no, I mean how much that one. Because the other ones are all lovely and curly and brown and beautiful. And this one is an ugly little runt of the litter. She said, oh, I think it's quite sweet. I said, well, we haven't come here for a white dog. So what sort of discount can you do? Oh, I don't know about that. I'll have to talk to my husband. Well, I said, he's in the next room. Why don't you go and ask him? So they came, she came back. And they knocked off, I can't remember what they knocked quid. off. hundred quid. Oh, that's quid. such a touching story. Yes. Bless yeah. her. Bless her. So I thought, right, well, if it's a hundred quid cheaper, why not? That made you love her more, I think. Yeah. Can I just say, though, that we actually had gone to look at this litter of puppies much against my better judgment because we'd just lost our very long-term family mm. dog, Charlie, who was 16 when he finally went. Mm. And a friend of mine said, oh, a litter of puppies has come into my orbit. And I said, no, don't want a puppy. We're about to move house. Definitely don't want a puppy. She said, I think you should just go and have a look at it. I said, no, I don't want a puppy. And she said, I think... If you go and look at them, you don't have to come away with one, but I think it would be good for you just to sort of oh, yeah. cast an eye on them. So I said, what, what are you not understanding about the words, I do not want a puppy? Anyway, I said to Michael, I've got to go and look at this litter of puppies with Anne, because she's insisting I go. Michael said, I think I'm going to come because we are definitely not having a puppy. I'm going to be the voice of reason. So we go look at the puppies. I fall in love with Philly. And Michael said... I said, what do you think, Mike? He said, well, I think we've got to have her. I said, sorry, what happened to the voice of reason? <laughs> you see, Michael, you said, one of the first things you said when I met you this morning was, you, you don't really like dogs, do you? No. <laughs> That's such I, a lie. I, what do you mean? You I mean, do. I quite like my own dog once I've got a dog. Because it's good for walking and it lies on the bed at night and... Farts. It's very sweet. It's been like you, Michael. So I quite like dogs. You missed that. I like my dog, but I'm certainly not doggy. I do not want to speak to random people about their dogs and all that kind of stuff. I mean, that is the most crashingly boring. Whereas Hillary is the opposite. She'll run. I mean, she'll literally run at somebody to say, Oh, your dog is so sweet. What is it? I mean... I love doing that. Yeah. Because you go through, it's the, the social contract. What's yours called? Yeah. Lovely no. to meet you. Goodbye. Well, as I long mean, as you're doing that quickly, yes. One of the last people I went up to, because he was in casual clothing and a hat, yeah. had a very, very cute terrier. So I said, oh, I love that dog. He said, yes, he came from Battersea. So I said, oh, I, that, if I ever get another dog, that's the sort of dog I want. And then I realised who it was, and I went, oh, I've just realised who you are. How exciting to meet you. 
Mr. Gandhi. David Gandhi. He's not actually, Mahatma. <laughs> not Mahatma. <No. laughs> anyway, I then had a long chat with Mr. Gandhi. And had I not commented on the dog, I would have missed this opportunity. Well, he's been on this podcast. Yes, with and, that dog. And he listens to this, so... David Gandhi, I love you. And you did say that you would potentially find me a dog at Battersea that looks like your dog. What do you think of Hillary hanging out with David Gandhi, Michael? Fine. <laughs> he has the most beautiful wife and I mean, two gorgeous daughters. And she's a lawyer. Yes, Ramal Clooney, basically. Yeah. yeah. Now listen, never mind Gandhi, Mahatma yeah. or David. Yeah. Um, I want to go back to your sort of doggy origin stories just yes, to see. because I've got to make some corrections yeah. actually. To We're going to do it. Yeah. We're going to do it because Jack Whitehall yeah. has appeared on this podcast yes, with his we dog. To it. A and man who has no interest in dogs, even less interest in dogs him. than me. He used he to say to me, dogs. he'd say to me if Philly was on the sofa, he'd say, with, with Jack, Jack would say, Daddy, could you get the dog off the sofa, please? I'd say, I beg your pardon? He said, can you get the dog off the sofa? It's got a name, Jack. <laughs> yeah, well, whatever. Did you have dogs, Michael, when you were growing up? I did. You had the Pekingese. My mother was obsessed with having a Pekingese and also she wanted one that was from the Jockey Club order, it's called. The, no, kennel, the kennel Club, club. the Jockey Club. She wanted one of those, you know, with a pedigree and a document. That would, get, would be really interesting from the Jockey Club because it would be a horse. So she got this dog and, and she was very proud of the, the certificate pedigree. which was in framed in the sitting room. And, and the dog was called Foxgrove Candy Floss because we lived in somewhere called Foxgrove Avenue. And I don't know why she called it Candy Floss. Because it, because was, it a was a boy, which was a sort of oddish name for Come a boy. On. Come on, Philly. And it bit everybody, and it was very uncomfortable with people. And I think it was mainly because it was given a girl's name. They didn't like it. And it didn't like it. Didn't it once and take it a chunk out of the vicar? Yeah, because the vicar went down the, vicar. the nearest feeding bowl. And that was My mistake. mother was Catholic and she tried, sucked up to the Catholic priest. This is Nora, isn't this it? This is Nora. And the Irish Catholic priest used to come over for tea. <laughs> and the minute he came in, Foxgrove candy floss went for him mm -hmm. because... Candy Floss clearly didn't like Father O'Malley, I think he was called. You moved around a bit, didn't you? Moved around quite a lot. Yeah. But mainly suburban mm. sort of places like Beckenham. It's Kent, Michael. And then we... What? It's Kent. It is, it was Kent. You used to say Kent. to everyone at school, I live in Kent. Where, <laughs> when where I went to school, live? boarding school, and the boys there were all terribly posh, much posher than me. And I always pretended, you know, people would say, Oh, Whitehall, where do you live? And I said, I live in Kent. I said, oh, jolly good. <laughs> but actually, I lived in a house that was probably a quarter of a mile away from somewhere called Penge. And Penge was Penge East, which was, was London. East, not East London, South... South East London. East London, yeah. So I li lived in the suburbs of London, but dressed it up as living in Kent. Yeah. And then my parents got, got a bit of money, 
That was the grand. Came you had a wealthy grandpa. Yeah. Well, there was. That's like a Dickens novel, isn't it? Because the wealthy benefactor took in your grandfather and sort of was really left quite a big legacy. He did. Enough for my parents to then go up market, and we had a very nice flat in Pont Street in uh, just off Knightsbridge. So a big jump from. Mm. Beckenham to Pont Street. And meanwhile, what was going on in your household? Um, well, See, my parents were fairly nomadic until I arrived. They'd sort of done their nomad um, period. I'm the youngest of four, so I've got three older brothers. So by the time I was born, they had, they'd actually quite radically, because my mother was an orphan, she'd been left some money and she bought a plot of land. So she was orphaned very early and brought up by various branches of the family. And when she hit 21, she obviously got this small legacy from her parents. So she bought a plot of land in Sussex, and then my parents built their own house in the style of an architect called Walter Gropius. I think he was Scandinavian, and it was basically a wooden block, a box. And the whole of the road that they lived in in Sussex, East Sussex, on the edge of Ashdown Forest, were horrified because it was very 60s and very cutting edge. <laughs> So they were quite, they were quite rebellious. Oh, so they were quite sort of artsy, bohemian. They were. They and were what both, did they do? My father was what would now be called a management consultant. So he worked, he was an industrial psychologist, was what it was called then. He used to work in industry, but dealing with people's sort of mindsets and you know, just basically testing what, what were people's strengths and weaknesses and how they could improve within companies. So he worked for. He did quite a lot for the civil service, actually, and companies, various other companies. He was a freelance. And my mother was a psychiatric social worker dealing with children. She worked in a child guidance clinic. So all very heady, head stuff. But uh, we had, when I was little, a dog not dissimilar to this Raymond, because she was a, not a cavalier, but a King Charles Spaniel. But again, rather oh. like this dog was left, we got... When we got to the litter, there was one dog left who was the runt. Her tongue stuck out all the time. She had a genetic defect, so she had this tongue that was literally... It was about a bit of bench work. Yep. Yeah. Literally two inches long. Oh, what, do you out. know that's like um, Carrie Fisher's dog was, was like that? Was that oh, yeah. yeah, should we sit on the bench? Yeah. So one of the corrections I'd like to make... To Jack's podcast. To Jack's podcast. So I'm, I'm going to call this podcast, instead of an interview <laughs> with the White Horse, let's call it a rebuttal. A rebuttal, absolutely. The I... White Horse, a rebuttal. Philly, Stop it. shut the fuck up. <laughs> Sorry. Sorry, listeners. Um, Jack said I'm obsessed with this dog. One thing I would like to say about dogs, okay? I'm a dog mother, he's what he calls me. Mm is that, as you well know, Emily, dogs do not come with instruction manuals. Every dog is different. I've only ever had, in my life, apart from the git and this one, I've only ever had rescue dogs. Can you not point at Michael <laughs> when you say the git? Sorry, Michael, it's so rude. <laughs> rather noisy down here. Yeah, well, What's that's why I think we should go that way. Right. <laughs> the rebuttal. The so rebuttal. So, they don't come with instruction manuals. I've only ever had rescue dogs. The thing about rescue dogs is that Generally, the ones I've had have been about two when they've come into my orbit, and they're so grateful mm. that they just sort of behave. My previous dog, Charlie, I never ever had to put him on a lead. He would literally be by my heel the whole time. 
so I could walk him at night and he was there. This one, of course, is an entitled puppy that I had. I don't, I just don't, I don't get her. I have to work really hard to get any attention from her because she's not grateful. She's no. like, I'm here. You know, you chose me, I'm here. So she's not a lap dog. She may look like a lap dog. She's not a lap dog. She's very much her own woman. Yeah. And you have to earn her affection. So hence me being a dog mother because I have to earn her affection. I understand. The previous dogs, you know, I could literally ignore them and they would still be there going, oh, mummy, mummy, mummy. This one. Yeah, not a Come on, Raymond. So, let's go back again, just yep. to the the earlier years. You, Michael, you were, as you say, you went to Ampleforth and quite a traditional school. Yeah. And I read your book ages ago, actually. I was a, an early discoverer. Michael, this is a woman who's bought your book and read it. <laughs> This is the book, of course, that Jack said when we did our stage show recently. He said, Daddy, how many autobiographies have you written? And I said, what do you mean? He said, well, you've, you've written, I mean, who do you think's buying them? I mean, nobody knows who you are. And I said, I don't know why you're just deliberately insulting me. And he said, but, I mean, you've written more autobiographies than who was it he said Katie Price Katie Price <laughs> and I said morning Jack I don't know where this Hello. line of questioning is going he said well how many have you written and I said well there's that one two three four four or five what is the thing well why do you and who buys these books I mean who would want to keep reading books about your life because you've never done anything. And I said, Jack, thank you very much for, you know, flattering me so ridiculously that it's embarrassing the fact that you're flattering me so much. Well, How many books have you written? You've, well, you've written oh. two with Jack. We've written one, all of us together Well, there Jack. was Michael, so let's get those. Shark Infested yep. then Waters was, Waters was, was one. the yep. first one I read. And then... Backing into the spotlight, which Jack renamed Crowbarring Your Way Into the Spotlight. <laughs> Very mean. <laughs> then there was him and me that they wrote together. Yeah. And then we've just and done then, The House Survive Family Holidays, which, which is came out in paperback. But there's a lot of handy tips in there. Oh, it's great. That how to survive going away on holiday with your family, which, as you know, <laughs> is a trial. In Shark Infested Waters, you give a very vivid description of your childhood, and there's a great thing. Your mum, Nora, talks about things being upmarket. Mm. She was quite aspirational in some very, ways, wasn't she? Very. I mean, she came from a sort of middle class, probably lower middle class oh. Scottish family. But, I mean, they were respectable. They had a nice house. My father, my grandfather was in the rag trade, but he was sort of managed, managed various shops. I mean, he, he, they weren't smart, or what my mother used to call a la carte. She loved <laughs> the word a la carte, and she thought the neighbours were slightly too a la carte for her. There's a bench for us. She I'll didn't, sit this um, end in this green You two room. sit there and I'm going to go here. Yeah, they always were on a lookout for an a la carte. But the problem is, if my mother found an a la carte, like, 
She said, oh, and there are some people in the next door who are very a la carte. And a la carte was sort of... Was posh. Yeah, yeah. Um, but then she always got all sort of shy and awkward and embarrassed about them. So we never actually got to know them because... They were too a la carte. They were too a la carte. They couldn't um, come in the house. She said, they're not going to want to come here. My father was the opposite. My father said, why don't we ask those... Those people next door in for a drink. She said, oh, they're not going to want to come. They're not going to want to come to our house. I mean, they're far too a la carte. You never had that attitude, I don't think, did you? You always, you know, that sense of, oh, I belong at the table. It's all right for me to... You didn't have a problem with that, did you? No. I think that also that the industry that we're Hello. in, the entertainment industry, yes. despite an article I read this morning saying that it's been hijacked by very posh people, I think it's a great leveller, our industry. It's very accepting of anybody. When Jack started, the first thing he did uh, at the comedy store, we went along to see him. And he was very funny. Um, very young. Very young. And you can only do, uh, if you can only do, is it five minutes? You, get the, you know, the open five minute slot between the big names. Yes. And if you go over five minutes, you never get booked there again. So you have to be very careful. There's a little light that minutes. flashes, t counting down, and then you're off. So Jack, they did this five minute set. I mean, he was very funny, but he did something that I thought, no, this isn't right at all. And I said to him afterwards, Jack, What's with the voice? And he said, what do you mean, Daddy? I said, what is that voice you're doing? So he said, well, I just think I sound so posh. And I said, well, you don't sound posh. You've got a nice voice. But you don't, you don't, you're not going to want to get saddled with that. Because he'd come on and said, evening, ladies and gentlemen, I'm Jack Whitehall. <laughs> and I thought, oh, no, so fuck off. Down the you road. can't do that. Yeah. Well, you're going to spend the rest of your life walking around saying, hello, I'm Jack Warhol. And he's going to do the comedy shows and say, hey, ladies and gentlemen, with this fake voice. Well, no, Daddy, maybe you're right. I said, no, don't do it. And it's not like you're posh. You're not coming on with a monocle saying, oh, good evening, everybody. You're just talking your normal voice and don't get saddled with that. And he never did it again, did he? And he said it took me a wee while to find my voice, yeah. and that's what he meant. Because when he was up at the Edinburgh Festival the first year, again, it was all sort of dropping his H's. And but isn't that interesting? Because I think that shows that... Um, I love stories where someone slightly learns from maybe things that they think might have held their parents back. So I think Michael mm -hmm. had a mother who felt that she wasn't In the right, good enough, yeah. or a la carte enough. Yeah. So what you said to Jack is always be yourself. It doesn't matter who yeah. you are, just yeah. be authentic. Yeah. yeah. I think that's really nice. Yeah. And he also had a huge amount of charm, which I'd like to say that he got from me, but he didn't. He got it from his mother. One hundred percent. Oh, Henry, isn't that nice? Did you hear what Michael just gave you a lovely compliment? One hundred percent charm. So. Obviously, there's, there's an age gap, but the great thing is it, it ceases to matter. Well, it was a, a perfect timing, too, because Hillary was looking for an agent and I was looking for a wife. <laughs> it turned out better for you than me, to be honest. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I didn't get much work. All you did was make me pregnant once we got married. 
So you, work. Let's go back because you'd left Michael had left Ample Forth, yep. and then you did a series of jobs. Yeah, Catholic lots of newspaper. Jobs. Yeah, advertising. Yeah, I was an advertising in um, a copywriter in an advertising agency. I was um, a PR man for a charity organisation. Yes. I was a solicitor's article clerk. I was a bar student of the Middle Temple. I changed my job every year, virtually. Always thinking that the, the next job was going to last forever. And between those jobs, I used to teach. In those days, you could get a teaching job in a prep school very easily. You didn't need any qualifications. So I taught at three different prep schools. So I had, a, I don't know how many, eight jobs maybe during my 20s without having a clue what I wanted to do. I mean, mm. I didn't have a sort of, you know, I want to be a doctor or I want to be a lawyer. I was quite keen on the idea of a lawyer. And particularly my mother was very keen on the idea of me becoming a barrister. That's very a la carte. And when I started, uh, the, the first day of training to be a barrister, which involved several years of study, and this was literally the first day, she bought me a wig and gown. So she literally gave me this wig which she put on and this gown and she said, oh, darling, you look so good in that. I mean, absolutely perfect. And I said, yeah, I think we may be just slightly running away with ourselves because it's seven years, I think it was, to become a barrister. And I thought maybe, maybe we should you know, put that, get the, the gear to one side until I actually pass an exam. Well, of course, I didn't last. But then she was picking up on the fact, because if you, you obviously were funny from a young age and you were witty and dry and all those things. So she'd got the, that bit right, the performing element. He was very good at arguing as well. <laughs> anyway, I, I didn't get anywhere near becoming a barrister, so that never happened. Um, and then I met this really well, nice man. Well, there were one or two minor details like passing exams. Well, exactly. Yeah. No... Actually reading some legal books. Um, <laughs> I met this really nice man called Robin Fox who was an agent. Oh, yes, yeah. And he was the father of Edward Fox and, and James Robert, Fox and, yeah. and Robert Fox and everybody. And he was very charming and very successful. And he owned an agency with a, his partner, Laurie Evans, called London International. Mm. And it was the creme de la creme. They had every actor you've ever heard of at the high end. Um, of knights and dames. Knights and but dames extraordinary and people as well that you can't even believe had British representation in a way, like mm. huge stars. Yul Brynner. Yeah, Dorothy Lamour. <laughs> yeah. Dorothy it was Lamour, brilliant. Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. And all I did was sort of help them and look after when there were slightly dodgy Americans coming to London, like Dorothy Lamour. Oh. Your Brenner, they said, oh, Michael, can you deal with them? And of course, they didn't want to deal with me. I mean, your Brenner <laughs> definitely didn't want to talk to me. Your Brenner, that's. I was so below his um, pay grade. But you obviously had a real talent for that because you became one of, I mean, 
I'd heard of you just in terms of you were the sort of name that my parents would have mentioned. Oh, Michael Whitehall, you know. You were, no, but yeah. Well, <laughs> no, I was just. I but was you're just obviously a very copying, good agent. I was copying Laurie Evans, really, because Laurie Evans was so grand, and he wanted to have somebody to be his assistant who could also play grand. So I was the chosen one, and I got a very good grounding. And my mother, who never wanted to be an agent, when she started hearing about the people that were coming into the office, and I was having lunch with Kenneth Moore and David Niven and famous actors. Johnny, Super Johnny Mills. John, Sir John to Sir you. Sir John Mills. And, <laughs> and, and some of them are very pompous. I remember Laurie Evans saying to me, Michael, I just thought I ought to tell you that uh, Johnny Mills uh, had a word with me when he was in the office the other day because apparently you called him Johnny. And I said, well, I only called him Johnny because everybody else in the group was calling him Johnny, yes. But he says he would expect you to call him Sir John. Whereas Larry was happy to be called Larry. Larry called me Larry mm. straight away. Yeah. Um, but anyway, I was very lucky to have that sort of start. So I did that for five years and then went off on my own with... A, a very, very fine agent called Julian Belfridge who oh, worked yeah. in another agency. And we started this agency called Leading Artists. And, and that was a big success. And then I stuck with being an agent for the next... Well, a big success in more ways than one because come in Mrs Whitehall. Yes. Oh, yeah. Philly. Exactly. That's quite a big dog to take hey. on. Fearless, you see. <laughs> Fearless. Um, That's a very. Could black. I interrupt for one second too and say where those two black labs are there? Mm. Yeah. That is where Charlie's ashes are scattered. Oh. Our previous Aww. dog. So we are quite often have a chat to Charlie and say we're still here, Charlie. <laughs> I keep so saying to is... Philly, Philly, when you go, you're going with Charlie over there. Oh, that's so Because you can see our house from here. And I used to walk, I used to run actually in the days when I could run. I used to run up here with Charlie. Are visual references much use in this show? Well, you never know. We'll, we'll take a nice picture. We could mention that Charles... Michael Moore Pergo, our great oh, yes, friend, yes, over there. who is oh. the children's laureate. He was he the children's I see him as a fellow Panama hat wearer. Very oh, nice. Yes. He, yes. I met him when we both taught in a very dodgy prep school together. In 1962? 1961, or 62. And he lives in, has a oh, flat there. Well, I mean, he doesn't live there all the time. He has a... So let's get to um, the introduction of Hillary because yes. you were at a party. Yeah. It wasn't just any old party. No, it was Mariah Aitken's party. And drinks party. And what, Hillary? Tell me when you first met Michael. You're acting at this stage, so you'd gone. Had you I, I was actually understudying, not Mariah, but the other ladies in the play that she was doing, and. Um, she had a drinks party towards the end of the run, but I, so I had already secured another job. I was actually going to do a play in rep at Northampton. And had you gone to drama school? Had you? I hadn't. I I auditioned and didn't get in for sort of two, two couple of years, and thought this is a bit of a mugs game. And then I had one more crack at it, and I did actually get into a drama school. But I had by then got a job, which in those days was going to give me the magic equity card. And you always wanted to act. I always wanted to act. I never wanted to no, act. No, you didn't want to act. No. Did you not? Oh, no, 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 no. Never, ever wanted to act. You were a big fat show-off, but you didn't want to act. No. So tell yes. me, your eyes met. 
Our Eyes Met Across Crowded Room, it didn't go very well to begin with. Why not? Because I had literally just met someone 10 minutes previously, an American, who'd asked me these standard questions that you ask at drinks parties. So when I then got into Michael's orbit, Michael, who I might have, was wearing a white suit. Michael then said, oh, hello, who are you? And this guy said, oh, I'm Steve and this is Hillary. Oh, right, what, what do you do? And Steve said, oh, I'm this, and Hillary is an actress. And where do you live? Oh, well, I live, and Hillary lives. He kept answering all these questions. I kept thinking, why is this man speaking for me? I can speak for myself. So he assumed that we were married or, you know, together. Whereas, in fact, you'd met him... Ten minutes previously. Ten minutes previously. Yeah, I could shake him off. And did you see Hillary and think, oh, I like the look of her? Yeah, I thought this is a possibility. Um... <laughs> So I then, I then rang I, you. No, 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 I rang you. I said, I'm looking for an agent. Um, well, that I wasn't at the you. time. Yeah, it was. Oh, so was I it? then rang you the following you day and came around, in to see you. Because, well, I was off to Northampton. God, there was no sort of... Um, no, I thought Stripe was Slow build-up. No. Oh, I, I had subsequently, in, in the night, overnight, <laughs> I'd said to Mariah, tell me about your agent. And he was at the very tail end of this previous oh. incumbent... And so I went to see him the following day because I was literally going to Northampton that week to start rehearsals for this mm. play. And, and I asked him advice about agents, most of the ones that had responded to me about... Did you go into the office then? I went you into You came the office. to my office. I was absolutely charming to her. Although you opened the door because you said, are you hot? And I said, yes, I am. And you opened the door. And standing in the doorway was Judy Dench. But she looked at me, looked at Michael and went, is he behaving? And I thought, oh, my God, she's doing jokes. She's now doing jokes. So I said, yes, he is behaving like the true gentleman that he is. And anyway, they then had a lot. You went over and kissed her and they had a bit of a chat. And I was thinking, OK, I'm literally punching above my weight here. I'm in a room with <laughs> the top agent and Judy Dench. This is ridiculous. The I play. got Amanda. My Amanda Fitzalan Howard, who was my secretary assistant. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I got her to ring Hillary because I didn't want to ring Hillary direct. This on a social matter because it would make later. me sound a bit sort of dodgy. But I did not respond but because she did not I had respond. by then gone on holiday after I'd done the play. I did three weeks in the play and then yeah. I went on holiday. It was in the days way before mobiles. So there was just this message on an answering machine which I got to when I got back. And Amanda said to me, I, I, I've rung her twice now but she hasn't rung back. And I said, well, she, honestly. So that was the end of Hillary in yeah. my book. And then a few days, a week later or... Because this yeah. was all pre-mobile phones. And emails and all that. <laughs> so I got she back. She rang um, Amanda. And Amanda came into my office and said, oh, I've had um, on, Hillary on the phone. Yeah. And she's really sweet, isn't she? And I said, Hillary? Who's Hillary? <laughs> Who's Hillary? She said, you know, that girl that... Uh, I said, oh, I don't want to get involved with any of that, no. <laughs> so what else is there, Amanda? No, no, but just to say, you know, she was really sweet. And she's been abroad, apparently. She's been in fr- America. Yeah, you've chopped out a bit, because I okay. rang in the morning. Okay. You'd said all that, and no no phone call came back. So then eventually I rang again in the afternoon, and Amanda said, no, no, he's on the other line. So I said, could you just tell him that I've been away, and that and I'm so sorry it's taken me so long to get back to you, but I've been away. So she then explained that to you. Yeah. And she was back <laughs> on the phone to me within five minutes, saying, would you like to go for dinner? 
with two of his clients. He was too scared oh. to take me on his own. No, I wasn't scared. <laughs> I just thought it so, would be rather inappropriate to take you out for dinner. So we went out with Martin Jarvis so and his Martin wife Rosalind Ayres to the Pulo Pot in, in Pimlico. And that was the beginning of it. Quite the couple, though. Quite the couple. Quite a lot of showbiz at our wedding. And at the wedding as well, Michael was having people come, clients coming up to you <laughs> saying, excuse me, what's happening with that job? Yes. Yeah. James Fox came up to me when we were just about to go into the church, yeah. I think. Um, Anton, I seem to remember Anton. And he said, could I have a quick word, Michael? And I said, a quick word? Yes. I mean, is there any news on that job? Because you said you'd come back to me. And I said, no, uh, I, haven't he- I haven't got the latest on that. Could you ring her and find out? I said, what, now? He said, no, no, not now, obviously, but uh, maybe on Monday. And Nigel Havers, who was best man, he got lost and was absolutely useless. And we had to wait to go up the aisle because Nigel hadn't arrived. Obviously, you then had wonderful... Jack. Who's oldest? Jack, Jack. is the oldest. Then, then Molly. Ba- Molly, then Barnaby. Yeah. Yep. Uh, do you do, does he do Barney or he's Barnaby? Barney. Barney. I mean, I, we called him Barnaby and I said he's never going to be Barney because Barney is a dog's name. Everybody calls him Barney. So I've given up on that now. Well, he calls himself Barney. He does. So. I, I still call him Barnaby when I'm cross with him. Barnaby! Hey, what is this towel rolled up, <laughs> wet towel rolled up in the corner of your bedroom? Oh, look. What do you think of this dog, Michael? I like this. It's mm. like a cockapoo. <laughs> Hello. Hello. Hi. It's Best. a very. I don't often see Pekingese these days. He's actually a Shih Tzu. Oh, I'm so sorry. <laughs> That's all right. I'm so sorry. You just. Although I, I do, have, I do have a friend actually with two jet black Pekingese, which are the most divine things I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I, I grew up with one. Is yours a cockapoo? A sprocker. Springer as well, nice. A sprocker-poo, that's three different types of dogs. Is that, the, is that a sprocker-poo? That's a sprocker-poo. Oh, I like the sprocker-poo. Yeah. Yeah, they're quite active. What's yeah. her name? Ruby. Ruby. <laughs> Lovely to meet you, Ruby. <laughs> we enjoyed that, Hilary and we I, did. but I don't know Michael, if Michael... did you see the glazed look on his face? Like what? When we were talking about the sprocker-poo. Yes. And your house, yep. just from what Jack's told me and just from the impression I get from both of you, it was sort of very much a noisy, lively household full of performers, obviously, and sort of bon vivers and yep. So quite a fun place to grow up for them, I would imagine. Rather like your own household. I think that... Um, Hello. People always say, you know, well, Jack White was very lucky because he had a head start because his parents were in the business. Well, we were actually in a completely different end of the business. So actually, we were of no help to him at all. In fact, he had a moment when he went for an interview for a a job, an acting job, went off to see the casting director and went into the room and the casting director said, before we start, can I just say, are you related to Michael Whitehall? And he said, yes, he's my father. And he said, well, then I don't think there's any point in continuing because your father was an absolute shit and I'm not giving you a job. And so that was that. So sort That's of the only old. time, yeah, that the name drop ever <laughs> came out. Yeah. Oh, God. Um, so... And then that other woman, that Irish woman, <laughs> yeah. she said, oh, Michael, I was always... Well, I met her quite recently... I was always so terrified of ringing you. He said, who's this? Hey, 
he's Stratford Jones's agent and said Michael Wallace oh god no <laughs> were you quite I mean, scary as an agent yeah well, was he? he was he was quite tough um, really? why are you scary well you took the view didn't you that your job was to protect your clients yeah you I, I, I like didn't that. think it was my job to have lots of friends who were casting directors I mm. thought casting directors were people that you you know would ring you and try and get your clients to do jobs and everything but you didn't really want to be having lunch with them all the time and being all matey with them. I just thought that uh, it was best to have a bit of distance. But I don't think I was actually rude to them. Hilary? Just not very No, I don't, I don't think he was rude to them, but he definitely felt that his job was to protect his clients and get the best possible deal, but also make sure they were looked after properly. So I that love that. When they went on a set, they weren't... You know, given a bicycle and a, mm. a tent to but make But if you up were going it. out for lunch with these people all the time um, and becoming their mates, it wasn't necessarily a very good thing when you wanted to get the best possible deal for them. The, the point I was going to make about Jack is that yeah. although we were a different end of the business and, you know, we weren't much help in that respect because we didn't know anybody in the comedy world, the one thing I do think you get by living in a house where the parents are in the industry is that by osmosis you pick up, you know, if you're surrounded by actors, you, you learn about timing and being a raconteur and how to deliver a line just by being in their company. And I think that's what Jack picked up, was that he picked up that Richard Griffiths could tell a 25-minute joke and you didn't know where it was going to go and he would meander all around it because he was a storyteller and he'd do it in a very sort of um, energetic way. So that's really interesting. So you're... I mean, you always said, Hilary, about Jack, didn't you, that he would sit at the table uh, aged... Eight know, or nine or whatever. And I'd be droning on with some ludicrously long <laughs> anecdote about some actor or other. Um, and Jack was thinking, all these people are sitting here quiet and then they're laughing all the time and Daddy says things. Maybe I, I should, should do I should something do a bit about of that. Yeah. I, quite I think he sort of felt that Michael was a very Michael is a very funny man. He's a great raconteur, as you know. And I think he thought, well, I could do I could do a bit of that. Yeah, I should do that. Because I do think that Jack's comedy. He's not a gagsmith. He's not a. Um, Tim Vine or Jimmy Carr, he's not a gag merchant, he's a storyteller. They happen to be very funny, and they happen, but they happen to have a narrative as well. In but a the way, storyteller thing is, is very yeah. apt with Jack. He does tell a very good story, doesn't he? Most of which have a grain of truth in them, you know, he yeah. might exaggerate it or, you know, put things together or whatever, but they are, but generally speaking, there will be truth within them. What were your feelings when he first said to you, you know, when he was thinking, and obviously Molly's in the business in a different, in a different way. way um, were you thinking, I don't know if I want him to perform? Well, you said, didn't you, to all of our children, oh, and, we, and they did do bits of stuff yeah. in programmes that Michael did when they were children. They all had a, a crack at, you know, doing bits of performing. Barney loathed it from day one mm. and said, I don't really want to do, sorry, don't really want to do this. Molly again thought, you know, I'm probably going to be out of work more than I'm in work. Mm. It was only Jack that sort of ran with it. But you, do, you always said to all of our children, oh, don't, whatever you do, don't, don't be an actor. Don't whatever you do, don't be, be an, an actor. actor. Did you? Well, yeah, because it's a, 
It's a dead end job. The, the amount of people, I mean, I looked after, I had some very good actors, young actors, when I was in my early, not very early days, but early-ish days. I mean, I had Colin Firth, I got him from drama school. Uh, I got uh, Daniel Day-Lewis from drama school. drama school, from the Bristol Old Vic. But the, more importantly, I also got lots and lots of young actors who nobody has ever heard of mm. and you have never heard of and they are probably not even doing it anymore because the, the, you know there's a there's one Colin Firth and, yeah and there and are a hundred others. hundreds and that's why I said don't do it Jack don't be an actor and he took my advice up to a point. Uh, up to a point, although yeah. he did want to be a comedian. Yeah. But of course it worked out perfectly because he became a very successful comedian and is now acting. So now you two have obviously, suddenly your career's taken off in a completely different, different direction. direction. I know. At this time in your life, which I think is rather lovely, because I suppose you know who you are, you've had your family, you yep. know who your friends are. Yep. It's a very nice surprise because yeah. I, never, I never wanted it and I never thought it would happen anyway. And when I used to go and see, uh, I remember one occasion when I went to see Judi Dench and Michael Williams in a, in a play. And as I left the theatre, I thought, God, thank God. I don't have to do what they've got to do because those poor fuckers have now got to do that same thing every night six for months. six months. Which, of course, they loved doing. It wasn't yeah. like they, they didn't enjoy doing it for six months every night. But I would have hated doing it. It was never in my game plan to be a performer. And then what, what changed? Because you obviously started... I must have seen you and Jack at the Edinburgh Festival was where it started, oh, wasn't yeah, it? Oh, yeah, that's where it started, yeah. Jack stay, wanted yeah. to do something with me. And I mean, then we did that show on, back, chat. Ten years on? No, we're 12 years on. I've just about forgiven him for picking the wrong parent. <laughs> I mean, it's it's rankled for 12 years, but I'm, I've worked through it. I mean, it was and just... And now crap. I'm now <laughs> in the scene, and it's like, OK, thanks, Jack. Yeah, yeah but you were less in the scene after Winston. Oh. Billy! Philly came Are to you me. admiring your new stand, sir? <laughs> yeah, you could say that. <laughs> Fulham fan. Yep. Very nice stand it is. Obviously, I want to talk about the fact that you've got this podcast yes. starting, which is yes. called The Wittering Whitehalls. Does what it says on the tin. We witter. And is it you two giving advice yeah. to people so people email in with their queries questions or maybe just an anecdote or whatever and we then witter and it will not surprise you to learn emily <laughs> that we very rarely agree <laughs> on our advice <laughs> do we mike i mean no, you we give do out not. your advice and then i correct so it here's i might let's see for example yeah let's test out the wittering white halls okay i have been invited to go to someone's house. Yeah. I take my dog everywhere. Yes. Etiquette wise, how does this work? 
should I ring up and just be honest and say, is it okay if I bring Raymond and risk refusal? Or should I just bring him and assume it's okay? That question first to Michael Whitehall. I would say unquestionably <laughs> neither. <laughs> Oh. You've been invited to somebody's house to go. They don't want your dog. Why would they want your dog? You can cope without your dog, presumably. For Is this just for a dinner? Yeah, but can the dog cope evening? without Emily? That's uh, the point. Well, you, m must, you must have an arrangement where you, <laughs> your dog can be looked after by somebody else. But to spring a dog on somebody. I'll tell you a story about a dog. Yeah. I went to a house once. And there was a, a, a dog under the table that saved my skin. The woman was a, um, what was she, a vegetarian? Yeah. And she'd done this thing called a something pie. Um, it was a hot crust. A hot crust. Nut and mm. bean pie. Nut Very bean Michael. Pie. <laughs> and she, she, she kept coming round the table and saying, are you enjoying it? Are you enjoying it? I hate people who come, I hate waiters who say, are you enjoying your meal? I say, no, fuck off. If I'm not enjoying it, I will come and complain. But you don't have to keep telling me or asking me if I'm enjoying it, okay? I've come here, I've paid the bill, I'll enjoy it or I won't. Anyway, so this woman comes over and says, are you enjoying the nut roast? And I said, yeah, yeah, oh yes, very much, very nice, thank you very much, yes, yes. And I thought, what am I going to do with it? Because I'd got my pockets, I was wearing one of these suits. My pockets were full. I could always wear one of those suits. Exactly. And I put in my pocket because I thought, I can't eat it, it's absolutely disgusting. And then did you put it in your I, pocket? Yes, yes, so you I did. felt something on my leg, and I thought the lady next door was being a bit flirtatious with me. <laughs> She was a bit Gosh. elderly, and I thought, I think it's unlikely she would be. That she had a sort of shake. Um, and a it was of their hair. dog. It was the man, woman's dog. And I thought, thank God, I can give it to the dog. Oh. So I gave these bits of this pie to the dog. Mm. And the dog looked like it was eating it, but no, it wasn't. It was just sort of... It chewed it and then... Chew it and then spat it out on the floor. By your feet. By my foot. So I had this huge pile of sort of regurgitated <laughs> nut roast pie piled in front of me under the table. Oh. So by then we were at the end of the meal, if you could call it a meal. Uh -huh. Uh, and I had to get all this stuff into my pocket because I thought I can't leave it all on the floor. So oh, I stuffed God. my pockets full of, of this regurgitated stuff. And they were really full, these two pockets, really full. And then as I was at the, by the front door saying goodbye, this man came up to me and said, Hello, Michael, old boy, how are you? And he went like that, right? <laughs> boom, boom, and squashed. Presumably, he was saying goodbye rather than hello. He was saying goodbye, Michael. Yes, and he squashed yeah. the pie. Squash all the pie in my jacket. Yeah, that's the end of that suit. I, I'm going back to your question. Now, yeah, go on, then. Because eh? my advice would be, I think you should ring in advance, but I would be quite forceful okay. in my request and say, just to let you know. 
No, I no. hope this isn't an inconvenience, but I, the dog can't be left on her own, on his own. So mm. I will be coming with the dog. Lovely answer, Hilary. Yep. Thank you for your contribution, Michael. Um, <laughs> Pleasure. What qualities does Jack get from you, Michael, and what does he get from you, Hilary? Oh. Definitely his funny bones from Michael. In terms of his personality, he definitely, I think, has my mode well, of very charming, charming to yeah. people. Yes. And most, I mean, I won't say most comedians, but Some quite comedians. a lot of successful comedians and comedy actors who can be quite tricky. Jack is not tricky. I mean, he's only ever tricky if, if he's unhappy about some dialogue or something that he's written, and, and he's only tricky about it because he either doesn't think it's good enough or it need, doesn't need messing around with or sort of technical sort of reasons. Um, so he gets charm from Hillary and no charm from me. Funny bones. I would say that the one thing, there is a, I would say that like Michael, mm. both Michael and Jack like things to be done properly. Oh. In all ways, you know, it has to be done properly, particularly work. You know, they want it to be the best that it can possibly be. So the only time you will ever see Jack being a bit twitchy mm. is if he thinks it's not the funniest it can be or the best it can be. Yes. And he will chip away and get it done again and again. Do you sometimes get that thing when someone meets Michael for the first time? And I... I I understand Michael and I got him yep. because I grew up with a lot of Michaels. Yep. Are there people that don't get Michael's humour and get scared of him? Literally thousands. <laughs> and also, <laughs> yes, people that have known you for years. So, friends, is that your dog being admired by a... Is he? Oh. Come on, Raymond. I know he's lying down now. Oh, he does this. Come on, Raymond. Come on. Oh, do I have to, Mummy? <laughs> oh, look, Michael, look. Michael, look. Look, he just lies down. Oh, no. <laughs> it's a bit like you. Go on. And mentally, you lie down in the middle so of the podcast. Do people sometimes misinterpret yes. Michael's well, dry wit for rudeness? They don't misinterpret it, but I have people who will call me and say, can I just ask, was Michael joking the other night when he said blah, blah, blah? And I go, yep, it was a joke. Just be reassured, it was a joke. <laughs> and they've known him for years, but they still sometimes just can't quite read him. She certainly wiggles her arse. It's a he, Ben. No, no he, he was talking about me, Hillary. Oh, sorry. <laughs> yes, she does. He certainly I mean, look wiggles at her. his arse she's... when he's walking. The other thing that Michael hates, because of his age, I think, <laughs> is that he literally hates the modern youth situation where everything is done at the last minute and changes at the last minute. He can't bear it. So we'll arrange to do something with one or other of our children with 24 hours notice if we're lucky eight hours notice if we're not and then at the last minute you'll get a text saying oh actually i can't make it can we do it tomorrow or i can't go there can we meet here and he hates that do you not like that you make an arrangement you make an arrangement a gentleman's word is his bond yeah absolutely how do you find do you like whatsapp groups michael no You never know where they are on the phone, do you? No. You always say, where is that family missives, as no. it's known, our <laughs> don't, family don't, WhatsApp group? I don't like group. any of that. Do you not? No. Well, the only thing you like is um, receiving pictures of Peggy. I like people um, who are generous. I have to mm. say that all our children are very generous. They are. Um, Jack generous is very with generous. themselves. 
and with themselves and also gifting, etc. They'll always arrive with something, you know. They <laughs> they won't come empty-handed. Mm. Um, they're not quite as tidy as I would like them to be. Mm-hmm. But you're very fastidious, immaculate man. Well, again, we're into Wittering Whitehall territory here Go on. because we have two takes on this. If I have a mess, I want to sort it out and put it away properly. If Michael sees a mess, he just gets the whole lot, scoops it into a basket and puts it in a cupboard. Well, I tell you... Because it's out of sight. And I can't bear that because I then think it's all sitting in there in a mess. I've got to get it all out again and sort it out. But he gets that. His mum, Nora, used to do that. Exactly. I get that from Nora. When the (laughs) vicar came for tea, Nora would sweep. (laughs) Everything would disappear. My father would say, darling, where's... Where's the coffee table? Um, Did your parents get to meet Hillary then? No. I met Nora. Oh, you met Nora she, when she was by then a bit gaga. She had quite mm. serious dementia, so she never quite remembered who I was. But, yeah. And she met Jack, actually. Oh, that's nice. But we used to have a, ra- a very circular conversation with her, bless her, because by then she was 86. And mm. When said, she met Jack, she'd always say, Oh, she's so sweet, <laughs> Michael. What's she called? And I said, she's called Jack. Oh, after, after Jack. Oh. Can I just oh, interrupt sweet, a minute? Go on. Because yeah. it used to go like this. Yeah. Okay? Go I'd, you'd say, we've brought Jack to see you. Jack's here, because his father was called Jack. Mm. Jack's here. And we'd go, no, no, we brought the baby oh. to see you. So she'd then look at the baby. Oh, she's so sweet. What's she called? Get, no, it's a boy. Oh. What's he called? Jack. Jack's here? And then we'd go round in circles. And did you, did Michael cry when the kids were born? I think I cried when Jack was born, yes. And the other two? Uh, and Molly. <laughs> Probably not Barney, no. <laughs> You're so mean. <laughs> Poor Barney. No, no, I, I, that, that would make me cry. Yeah. Oh. Not a lot makes me cry. <laughs> Um, we didn't, weirdly, everyone said, did we cry at Molly's wedding? And I said, no, because Molly's wedding was so joyous. Aww, I couldn't cry. I, I, just, I had a huge smile on my face all day. But it's interesting with you two that your kids have all gone off to do their own different things. How did you teach them a work ethic? I, I said, you know, certainly at school, I said, although, yeah, I said to them at school, if you work hard, it's just going to give you more choices in life. It's as simple as that. If you want to have options, work hard. I was very lucky to being the older father. I mean, for instance, when they were all at Marlborough, I was by far the oldest parent of the parent group. Yeah. So there were lots of fathers who I got on very well with, but they were all miles younger than me. In fact, I could almost have been their father. And that was really nice for me because I was mixing, instead of being mixing with a lot of old men, I was mixing with a lot of younger (laughs) men who, I don't mean they were very young, but they they were in their, what sort of age? 40s, 50s, yeah. 30s? No, well, 40s, 40s, 50s, Mm. yeah. Whereas I was in my 60s. 50s and 60s. Yeah. Yeah. I think our children have definitely kept Michael relevant in terms of his yeah. outlook on things. And I also wasn't competitive, whereas a lot of boys at a boarding school 
their, their farmers are very competitive with them. Yeah. You know, if it's cricket or tennis or anything, they are competing with their sons because they want to be better than their sons. Mm. There was none of that with me. In fact, it was completely the opposite. And they were much more looking after me rather than trying to compete with me. What a lovely life you two have. We do have a lovely life. Look We're at this, blessed. this beautiful part of London, yeah. overlooking the river. Yeah. People always say you have to find someone, you know, who kind of completes you. So yeah. you two are just perfect, aren't you? Don't you yeah. think, Michael? You're perfectly matched. Um, oh, God, he to... <laughs> Leave that one with me. No, we are. Of course we are. Emily, Emily Dean, I can't believe that you've got him to say this in, in a public space. No, you are perfect. Perfect. He wouldn't have said that the other day. Why? Because we, I do this funny voice over for an animation series called Moly, about a mole. And I play a character called Miss Petunia, who's a sort of mad, crazed old bat with bright pink hair <laughs> and a hat. And I made the hat, yeah. and I had bright pink hair. I sprayed my hair bright pink to go to this event for Moly. And um, he said, are you, sorry, are you seriously expecting me to go out in public with you looking like that? And I said, yeah, I am, actually. <laughs> and we arrived at this event, and everybody was in love with my hat and my hair and came over, and he kept saying, I'm so sorry about my wife. She's gone mad. That's how Michael shows love. I think if he ignores you, it means yeah. he doesn't, he's not interested. Right, we've reached the Whitehall's House. home now, which I won't are. share with anyone because it's not a dog napper's guide. Yeah. Can I just say goodbye to the Whitehall's? You can I've say I've had goodbye. the loveliest walk. I really want everyone to listen to the Wittering Whitehall's because these two are so entertaining. And thank you so much for walking with me. I love meeting Philly. Philly's so nice. Michael, did you enjoy meeting you Raymond? I did. <laughs> I mean, you don't even have to ask me this question, do you? Because I literally love Raymond. I want Raymond. Raymond's quite a... I, even for a, a non-dog lover, is quite appealing. Hello, Why? Boy. Well, she just looks like... He. She looks, he. he looks he. like a... A sort of cushion a or a, a, a sort of dog you could tuck into a sofa and it would just be there <laughs> being... I'm going to need a picture of me with Raymond. Oh. Is that all right? Raymond. Raymond. Put your tongue out. Mm -hmm. Oh, these are good. Say goodbye. Oh, goodbye, Raymond. Goodbye, Emily. Goodbye. It's been an absolute pleasure meeting you both, oh. I have to say. Huge. Can we meet not on a podcast? Oh, we will. And my, you know what? I think we've really won Michael around with Raymond, don't you think, Hilary? I think Raymond may have actually got right under the radar. If I had to commit to a certain sort of dog, could I'd you, be more likely to go that way. Could you cope with this? Probably not. <laughs> I really hope you enjoyed listening to that. And do remember to rate, review and subscribe on iTunes.